Hello and welcome to The Undaunted Creative, a podcast that takes a closer look into the story behind success in the creative fields. Today's guest, Nico Gerentis, is a podcast producer and casting director based in California. Throughout his years in the entertainment industry, he has been a talent coordinator, a voiceover artist, and an audio engineer. Showcasing his versatility and talent, he has sometimes held all three of those positions at once. Nico joins me today to discuss the beginning stages of his career, creating and hosting his own successful podcast, attending and winning awards for his work, growing up with a creative mindset, and last but not least, his utter passion for audio drama. We will cover all of that and sometimes more in today's conversation. Nico, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Well, one of the most interesting aspects of hosting this podcast is that I do like to give the audience a clear picture and a path of where things began for the guest. It's those early formative years that creativity as well as confidence can first be seen through projects and mentorships. For you, what are some of the earliest memories of creativity? Oh, man, definitely. I had somebody ask me the other day, actually, how did you get into voiceover? And I think I just started making people laugh. That's what I really enjoyed doing. So I had a bunch of little mouth noises that I do, like a trumpet, just even that simple. Or people were like, do the window cleaners. And I'd go... So just these little mouth noises were a lot of fun to entertain people all the time with. And that kind of grew into doing sillier voices and realizing, wow, like there's a, this is, this could be a potential career path, which is crazy. (laughs) Making sound effects with your voice. Well, you know, when we first met, one of the first things I noticed about you was this ability to articulate your needs and also collaborate with ease. What also struck me was that a very early age, you wound up entering the voiceover radio realm by producing and voicing spots for a commercial radio station in Texas. Additionally, you had already produced a voiceover demo. Let's start with the radio station. How did you work your way into such a position at such an early age? Yeah, so I guess with the uh, radio station, that was actually really cool in Texas because my aunt is a radio host there. So that was kind of like a one month was able to kind of see the inner workings of a radio station and really see like how that all played out. And one of the audio directors there was really cool. He would make these commercials where he would voice them, you know, and just kind of get them around in the really quick turnaround time. And that really excited me because that was when I was at Columbia um, for a little bit as well. And when I saw that play out, I was like, man, this, I mean, it really shows you when you see the professionals doing it, even the teachers at Columbia, like my voiceover professors would have a gig, you know, and then come to class to teach. It really shows you that these things are possible. So um, even after being at the radio station too, I kind of went back to Columbia with a, sense of like, how am I going to figure this out? How can I do this? Because I know it's possible. My teachers do it. My aunt's killing it on the radio station. You know, that audio director is voicing these promos. You know, there's got to be a way that I can do something in this field as well. Though you had that confidence, unbeknownst to me, until we sat down and spoke, you were quite frustrated initially when you came to Chicago during that first semester at college. The major you initially chose wasn't working out to your liking, so you had a roadblock of sorts. I'm interested in finding out what influenced you not to give up and instead create your own interdisciplinary major. Yeah, that's something that I'm not shy about being honest with, is that my first semester, uh, or my first year at Columbia actually was kind of rough, and it wasn't really due to the curriculum. It was because I don't think I was ready. I wasn't really as focused 
as a creative too. I kind of felt like I was going to school because everybody else was. And like, that's what you did after high school. But I didn't really have the drive or the want or I didn't really know what I wanted. I Even at that point too, I was unaware of the voiceover world my first year. So I had dropped out after my first year and I was working at a GameStop and then I worked at the Lego store a little bit. And in that time, I was always messing with music still. Like I was still doing things in the background. Even when I'd go home, I'd mess with audio software. I was learning more about the industry just little by little. And after a while, I feel like I just decided, man, I really want to be creative again, like full-time. I want to be a full-time creative. And I think it does take a little bit of time to kind of, you know, pull back, reassess. And when I jumped back into studying at Columbia, I just loaded up on voiceover classes because I said, you know what? I had experience with it for a little bit. A buddy of mine interned at a 3D printing company and they needed somebody to voice a promo. So what I did was I bought a Blue Yeti microphone from Guitar Center, did the gig, returned it that same day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> had no no knowledge of VO too much other than, you know, hey, this is how I'm going to present it. And they all loved it. And that gave me a big confidence boost. So coming back to Columbia, I just decided, hey, I did that voiceover thing. I'm going to load up on these voiceover classes. And, you know, I still wasn't too sure what my major was going to be or what my direction was, but just kind of deciding that initial, hey, I'm going to start here and see where this goes. That was awesome because then that led me to taking classes in the radio station, getting connected with amazing professors there. And then that led me to looking at the course catalog as well and realizing, oh man, there's other audio classes that don't relate to radio. They relate to cinema, arts, and sciences, or they relate to, you know, music production. So I started taking a ton of these classes that I really felt like had value for me. So it was kind of a difference between just going kind of aimless my first year. And now I'm like, I want to take this class for this reason. I want to take this class for this reason. I got very passionate about all that. And I realized quickly that I was taking a lot of classes that weren't fulfilling degree requirements. So I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm going to be here forever <laughs> at this rate. So I did look at what I was doing and realized, man, this is kind of like an audio drama degree. This is pretty cool. So I was able to talk with a lot of different people and get that interdisciplinary degree degree in place to where I, you know, kind of reclaimed my education in a sense, which was really exciting for me. And I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing, even though I didn't always know where it would lead semester by semester, I'd take all these different classes. Um, at, at the end, I really, really am happy with the education I got at Columbia. It was fantastic. So, well, it, and suffice it to say, you did receive some pushback regarding going the interdisciplinary route, correct? Yeah, I, I would say so. Just because yeah, yeah, I had to keep fighting for it, but I knew that that's it, that's what made sense for me, and that's what was right for me as a creative. Um, there were some classes too that I thought would fit in my degree, and I'd start them, and I'm like, you know what? I don't really think this is for me. I'd need to replace it with something, and that was huge, right? Because with an interdisciplinary degree, you're committing to the classes that you want to take, and I'm like, oh, I got to change this out, and they're like, you can't do that, and I was like. Uh, I have to though, because <laughs> this isn't, things don't always go as planned and having that, you know, ability to be able to swap another class out for something else, or just, you know, kind of going with the flow and seeing where it's going and changing course as you're proceeding, like that's really important. So, and that's why I wanted to talk to you today, because where that confidence and self-belief comes in, you also sometimes face some adversity and you face some when it came to work outside of the classroom with out getting into specifics about the organization or company, what coping mechanisms did you lean on during that time? 
yeah, it was tough because I'm even learning now that some opportunities when they when they seem like the gold standard, like, oh, I did it. I I landed that dream job or that internship or something. They always come with certain, you know, difficulties or things that you didn't really anticipate. So it's kind of about adapting and also realizing, hey, what can I get out of this? So I may have had an inflated sense of, oh man, I thought being in this position was going to be everything I wanted and more, right? But then you're realizing, uh-oh, I'm doing things that aren't, <laughs> I didn't expect to be doing certain tasks or like certain things. I don't really know how to <laughs> describe this. Yeah. This one threw me for a bit of a loop. <laughs> well, that's what's great about this, right? Is that we're we're, re- we're getting real about this yeah. stuff. I, I think that you really gave a great synopsis of it. And I want to now move to, you're at Columbia and lo and behold, you find out there's a student organization called the Audio Drama Club. You quickly get involved, rise to president of the club, and it culminates in developing more portfolio building materials. When did you realize that you could take this beyond Columbia, the audio drama club experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the club actually was something that I only heard about that happened previously. So it actually wasn't in um, effect. The club wasn't operating actually when I was there, George Czar, one of the teachers in the writing department, or excuse me, the radio department, he had told me that it had happened previously. And I said, wow, that's really cool. We should resurrect this because there were so many different creatives in my class that had really great ideas. And I felt like my producing cap on and I said, wow, you know, if we get this one guy who wrote this story and ooh, we can get my friends in these voiceover classes to voice the characters and oh man, we can bring other people aboard. We could do this whole awesome show. And so I just had this producing cap on because I feel I felt like I could see all of the pieces of the puzzle and I understood how to put them together. It was just like time to put them together. So in, we started doing live audio drama shows. I coordinated it with the radio department. Um, that was a lot of fun. We did those for Manifest. Um, it wasn't until I think Matt Cunningham in the radio department, he connected me with Evan Gulak, who was a screenwriter. And that's another thing I love, just the interdisciplinary, the fact that all these people are at Columbia, right underneath one roof. It's so great to be able to connect with whoever and learn about a completely different industry. And Evan had the idea in one of the, in uh, Matt Cunningham's podcasting class for the show called Death by Dying. And it sounded really cool to me. Matt kind of pitched me what he had produced in class. And I remember saying, I have no idea what I'm listening to, but this is awesome. Like I need to pick this guy's brain. So we quickly became fast friends, Evan and I, and wanted to create something because I knew that I was leaving Columbia. I wasn't going to have access to the audio drama club anymore. And Evan was still there. He was about a year younger than me. So he had more time there, but I really wanted to sink my teeth into a bigger production. So death by dying was five episodes for its first season. And we were just able to it was like audio drama on steroids, like taking everything that I had learned at the school and being able to dump it into one project. I kind of almost feel like that was my unofficial thesis. It was like <laughs> death by dying. It really was every single interdisciplinary class I took at Columbia being utilized into one project. Well, I love how we're bopping around here and for good reason. Death by dying, the original podcast with over 200,000 streams and counting. In a nutshell, an obituary Um, In a nutshell, an obituary writer in a fictional town in Idaho starts investigating strange and mysterious deaths. Along the way, he meets up with some dastardly characters. So Evan already had this idea, and the two of you worked together to put this into a series. And how instantaneous was it 
when at that moment when did you both say we need to make this into a series yeah we both yeah we both had something that the other person lacked and that's still kind of the case too excuse me <laughs> as my uh creative as my creative partner evan that that's it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship where evan has the screenwriting brain and i have the audio production brain so we're able to fill in the gaps and do what you know, create what we want to create because the other person has those resources. So we work together very well. And it was pretty much right after we had met at Cafe Cito right across the street from one of the Columbia buildings. And I just remember we were getting really excited about the prospect of working together. And as one person pitched something, the other person said, yes, that's awesome. And we could do this. And then the, the other person said, yeah, that's awesome. And so it just kept building and building and building like, oh, I can get a studio timer. Oh, that's great. You know, I can you know, we could do this, we could do a read through with so and so and it just really was off to the races with all the knowledge that we had at the time. And the series won six Audioverse awards in 2019. And for those who don't know, Audioverse was created to honor the finest work in audio fiction on a yearly basis. Since it was 2019, I recalled seeing the photos on their red carpet. What thoughts were running through your he head as you're being honored? Oh, it was crazy because Evan and I just felt like you know, our goal was to make a project, make a thing together. And when we figured out how to put it up on iTunes, we high-fived and said, sweet, you know, cool, job well done. And didn't really think much of it after that. But about a month or so later, we went on all these social media sites and noticed that people were talking about our show. Not only were they talking about the show, they were making fan art and some people were making fan fiction. And we were like, whoa, we're starting to get an audience here. This is crazy. And we started getting messages from people too about how the show impacted them on a personal level because Death by Dying, while it is a comedy on the surface, it really does lean into a lot of serious topics and deals with grief. And we had a lot of people talk to us about how they had lost a loved one, especially during the pandemic, and that the show was able to help them overcome some of that grief or kind of cope with it or understand what it's like to lose someone or you know just topics regarding friendship and it was just crazy because evan and i were like we we were just having fun making this show man but uh it has really impacted a lot of people so it was great we were also able to go to a convention two conventions actually one in boston and one in seattle and that's where we, we were able to engage with some fans too and that was crazy because that we were signing posters for people and i was like this was literally a student project this is nuts <laughs> like, it, we we the response was crazy we didn't expect people to really be responsive to it but evan and i's core for creating is just always if we're not having fun there's something wrong so we are always thinking about how can we have fun because it's evan and i you know just we want to play around we want to mess around with the formula we want to have a good time with casting with writing and everything so that's our core and i think that that shines through and people pick up on that um is that we're having fun constantly throughout the process well two hundred thousand streams this spread like wildfire yeah i think we're actually at half a million uh right now wow so, <laughs> we have to update our press kit <laughs> wow that's amazing so i have to yep. ask you are the original in my book of rocking the bow tie was there a special one for those nights <laughs> on the red carpet Oh man. Well, Audioverse was mostly virtual, <laughs> but I am a big uh, bow tie fan. Um, I think I have around like 24, 25 bow ties so far. Um, but oh man, I do have 
a music notes bow tie, which I'd probably, that's the one I'd probably sport to a function just so people know I can rep the audio <laughs> music aspect of it. I love it. So before leaving school, you get signed to Stuart Talent as a voiceover artist. Can you describe that feeling when they told you that you were signed? Yeah, that was nuts. Um, boy, I, cause that's something that I really worked hard towards. I was working with Deb Dozer on creating a new demo and really understanding the business of voiceover. So even more than being signed, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a, wow, like I, my hard work paid off because I was really, really trying to lean into understanding the commercial read and, you know, working hard towards that goal. So that was, I, I was elated. I remember, <laughs> this is really funny. I was actually trying on pants in a Tilly's in LA and I was visiting. That was one of the first times visiting LA too. And I had submitted all my stuff um, actually a couple, like 20 minutes beforehand. I was in a Starbucks. I told, I was with my folks at the time. I said, Hey, I'm going to get all this stuff done. And then we can, I'm going to submit it all for this class. Then we can go, you know, shop around. So 20 minutes later, I have one of my legs through the pant leg of a you know, pair of jeans and the phone goes off and I hear, Hey, it's Sheila from store talent. I just heard your demo. Can you come in for, uh, you know, for us to interview you? And I said, uh, I, I'm in LA. Can we like do this next week? And she's like, ah, oh, you're killing me. That's okay. That's fine. So I was just really excited that I even had the opportunity and I end up going to Disneyland and riding the tower of terror. I think it's rethemed now to guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. So that's a big drop ride and it goes really fast and it freaked me out and I'd lost my voice on that ride because <laughs> I screamed so much. So I was going on all these rides and, uh, I was really worried because, oh no, now my voice is gone. I have this interview with the biggest agency in Chicago. And on top of that too, I must've caught something on the plane because the day of the interview, I was sick. I was coughing. <laughs> my voice did not sound good. I was so overwhelmed and I was calling Deb. I said, you know, do I still do this? Do I still go? And she's like, yes, you still go. <laughs> you, you have to. So I just, I, took drank tons of orange juice, tons of tea. I looked up all these foods that were good for my voice. Um, and I think the adrenaline just kind of made it so that for that 25 minutes that I was at the agency, I was on, I was on it. I sounded great. Didn't cough or sniffle once I was you know, on my game. And, uh, I think through, like I said, to, through the demo and the work that I had done that shown even more, they just wanted to make sure probably that I was a real person and you know, that I was dedicated to doing it. So, well, uh, but yeah, I'd gotten it. You nailed it. And and quick plug for NicoGerentis.com. It's an amazing website that showcases all of your talents. Professional Noisemaker, as the title says, is quite apt. You literally have every demo possible. One in particular was the Impressions demo. You're doing yeah. Scooby-Doo, Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future, Mickey and Minnie Mouse, and so much more. I've got to ask you, when did you first discover that innate ability to store such a wide range of impressions in that creative brain. Yeah, like I said, I think it just goes back to wanting to make people laugh. And, you know, I'm included in that as well. <laughs> like, I like entertaining myself. It sucks because I've thought about doing stand up comedy, but I feel like I'd laugh at all my jokes because it's just, it's not that they're so funny. It's that, you know, you think of something funny and I get a kick out of being a goofball myself. So, um, you know, doing all these voices is just a lot of fun and mimicking and trying to get them down. I don't really claim to do impressions, but obviously impressions, you know, even a failed impression, this is something that I learned in a animation voiceover class at Columbia. 
even your worst impression can be it turned into a different character. So it's always fun trying these different voices and seeing what you can get out. That impressions demo was actually kind of by accident where I was just goofing around in the booth. I had no intention of making an impressions demo, but I sometimes I just like turning the mic on and seeing what comes out. I do these little bits, these little skits. It helps me improv too. And I had recorded almost that whole thing just in one run. And it was just an idea that I had, oh, what if all these crazy characters time traveled? How many of these can I like bang out as quick as possible? And I think all of those were just in one run. And then afterwards, after I showed it to people, I added in like one or two more um, in post. But a lot of those was just the same take, like one take of just <laughs> being wacky and making myself laugh. So Fantastic. As we wrap up, talk about dream jobs. You're with Nickelodeon in Burbank, California. Walk us through what a day in the life looks like for you. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a brand new job. So that's that's been a goal of mine for about four years. So that was really exciting to finally get through the door. And it looked completely different because of the pandemic. So my version of working at Nickelodeon was like, oh, man, there's going to be tons of people here. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, like everybody's going to be going around. But because of the pandemic, it like um, it really was a different vibe. Um, not a lot of people were there. So I guess new new day in the life of working at Nickelodeon during the pandemic, um, a lot of it is remote, but I had the opportunity to go to the studio, which was awesome. And sometimes my responsibilities included escorting talent to their recording sessions. So that was really cool too. I got to meet a lot of you know people I looked up to in the industry. Um, another one of my responsibilities too is just making sure that all these actors and everybody have the scripts highlighted and everything that they need in order to have these sessions run smoothly. Um, so that's really fun as well. Um, I think the studio's eyeing at reopening soon. They keep talking about it. So I'm excited for that so that every, you know, I can just be around tons of creatives, but it's really cool. They also have this program where, you know, in lieu of not being able to network in person, you can set up virtual appointments with people in different departments. Uh, and so I've been able to talk with different artists and see their remote setups. And I've talked with production coordinators and a lot of different people too. So yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, they still are able to make it that fun environment, even virtually, but I'm hoping that the back in person, you know, will kind of be a, the, what I had in my brain initially, because <laughs> working virtually really threw me for a loop, but it's been really, really cool to work on these legendary shows. I mean, I work on SpongeBob, so that's, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> well, I'll say this, though you've been inspired by others, and you've also had the opportunity to network with so many professionals throughout the voiceover industry and, and so forth. What I love about you is that you inspire others. You're not complacent. You keep moving forward. Can you preview some of the creative mischief you have planned for the coming months? <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, I've been able to book a few voiceover roles. And again, being you know, the whole voiceover industry being remote has completely changed the game. So that's, it's opened up some new opportunities for me. So that's been fun. I've been getting some voiceover work. I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So stay tuned for some of that coming out. Um, also, we're working on season two of the podcast, which we want to release towards the end of this year. So fall of 2022. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We have a bigger cast, bigger story, bigger stakes. So Evan and I are really looking forward to that. And yeah, I think more, I want to get more into my music too, because I make tons of comedy rap and, you know, all these fun songs about pumpkin spice lattes or just, you know, 
funny stuff. And I want to try and get that out there too. So I had written a song about the quarantine and was able to do a music video for that with some of my old roommates in LA. So that was fun too. So, And where can they find that? Oh, that's on, I think if it's not on my website already, it's on Friction Makes Fire because they were the production company that helped me make that. So Friction Makes Fire on YouTube and the song's called Quarantine by Nico Noisemaker. Nico Gerentis, it was an honor having you on the Undaunted Creative. Thanks for having me. <laughs>